cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you. I'd encourage you to do so. We can have a record of your attendance. Just give that to any of the men that you saw up here serving this morning. We know what to do with it when that time comes. Wanted to remind everyone, uh, word from the elders on everything that's going on right now with COVID, uh, that they have encouraged us to make your mind up on these things and to act in a way that is in accordance with what you believe to be best on through all of this. With the caveat, I think that we need to add, it's interesting that Eric chose Jesus is coming soon as the song for the lesson. Do you guys know when that song was written? 1942. Anybody got a clue about what was going on during that time? December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. Jap Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. And it was shortly after that 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 song was written. And Christians all over the country were singing that song because the amount of fear that had pervaded society. And lo and behold, all these years later, we're still singing that song. The world didn't end. Jesus chose not to come then. The elders would encourage you not to make decisions based off of fear, but based off of the love of God and the gospel that you've obeyed. Can you believe we're almost to September? That blew my mind the other day when I realized that we were only a couple weeks out from life groups. You should have gotten your letter by now. If you have not, please see me. We'll let you know what, who your group leader is. Group leaders should have been have probably already been reaching out to you to determine logistics of when and where your first meeting will be on September 5th. So I want to encourage you, if you agreed to participate in that, uh, to be as active as you can in it. If you did not choose to participate in a group, there will be a group meeting here at the building at 4 p.m. on September 5th. Uh, also, since the time is, you know, getting away from us, football season is around the corner. I guess that's kind of a big deal. Well, on September 4th, McNeese has their first game. It's also on September 4th that the campus ministry is wanting to host a big, huge tailgate out at the campus facility. For any and everybody, that's going to be community for the church, whoever. Yeah, we're going to grill up some hot dogs. We'll have the game playing on a radio or something during that time. Uh, there is some challenges just because campus house is still kind of destroyed, uh, mainly for restroom facilities. And any idea that I brought to Hunter was quickly shot down. <laughs> Rightly so. But we're planning on having a big party out there on that day to help support campus. If you're interested in doing that, see Hunter and Ashley, see how you can help out with that. They've got ideas of what they're wanting to do. November's coming up quick, and I guess there's a big deal with the youth group and the youth program of how they put together Thanksgiving baskets. Yeah, if you're interested in helping out with that program, talk to Nick. Nick's been making some plans to get that going and to get all of that taken care of yeah, so he knows how many people he's got to help out with all of it. And the last thing I've got yeah, before we get into the lesson this morning is sometimes I think it's easy for us to forget the challenges that, our leaders, that face our leadership in the church and that the elders have a lot of questions that they get fielded with and they have a lot of challenges that they have to deal with on a regular basis, that I would encourage you to be praying for those men, not just in their leadership of the body, but in their personal lives and the walk with their wives and the challenges that they face as a family, but know that they are here for you and that they love you. And they're available afterward 
in the back room, if any member has a, a concern, a question, they, ha- they need counsel, uh, those men are here for you and they take their job very seriously. And so I would encourage you to be praying for them. Pray for their service, pray for their health. Never forget the heavy responsibility that they carry as they lead us. So this morning, we find ourselves in Mark chapter nine. I wanna encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles and we'll get into it this morning. How many of us learn best by following, right? You see the example that's out there in front of you, you see them doing it, and you're like, all right, that's easy. You have the example, and now I can actually get it done the right way every time the first time around. Or are we that kind of people like, all right, so we, had, we have two children, and they are a blessing to us uh, beyond our years, but we have one child who learned by watching their, his older sibling make all of the mistakes, right? And, and as he watched Natasha make the mistakes, he was, I don't want to say he was smart enough, he was wise enough to know, I don't want to handle that in the way that she handled that because Natasha made all the mistakes. And the way mom and dad dealt with her was she had to learn by doing and then learn that that wasn't the right way to do and then had the repercussions from all of that where justice could look at it and go, you know what, I'm just going to follow this thing to its logical conclusion and I'm just going to do the exact opposite that my sister did and things will be great for me. And I think that's how a lot of us are, that we actually learn better by getting into trouble and getting out of it. And it's interesting to me because in Mark chapter 9, Jesus has been teaching us through this whole chapter how to follow him as he's blazing this trail. But in chapter 9, we actually get a teaching from him that we don't actually see him doing anything. He's just providing the warning to keep us away from it. And I think we would do well to actually pay attention to what Jesus has to say. It's our, when I was training privates, you know, there's certain things that you can tell a kid and they go, uh-huh, and you know that they just don't have it, all right? Well, there's a weapon called the AT-4. The AT-4 is an 84-millimeter anti-tank rocket, all right? And one of the big things that we taught kids every time we went to the range was, watch where you point your muzzle. Now, you would think with a 84, which is about this big around, in case you're wondering, an 84-millimeter throwaway rocket launcher, which is about this long, this big around, okay, you'd have no trouble with muzzle awareness, right? Well, how you teach the kids, because Marine Corps is just not going to pay for the kids to just shoot rockets all day long, unfortunately. But how you teach them is a nine millimeter round has the same trajectory and flight path as what this rocket does. And so it's called a nine millimeter tracer trainer. You screw it into the back and you shoot it and you watch the little red light go across the range and you know that you're good or not. Well, this kid, he gets it all loaded. We're on the firing line and what's the rule of thumb on the firing line? Watch where your muzzle is, right? Shoots himself in the foot with a rocket launcher. Okay. And you ask him, did you know where your muzzle was? Yeah. Where was it? I don't know. It was pointing at your foot. And we end up shooting ourselves in the foot when we're just not paying attention. I really do think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Read with me. Mark chapter 9. Let's start in verse 38. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Jesus said, do not hinder him. 
For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, I truly say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him with, if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better that you enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell with the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So Jesus is presenting some warnings here. He's not going to actually lead us down this path, but he's going to show us a path and he tells us just stay away from it. Okay? Don't go there. And some of the things that make, what makes things horrible is how it assaults the senses, right? Some people won't eat certain foods because they can't handle the way it tastes or they can't handle the way it feels in their mouth. I'm, I'm like that with coconut. I cannot handle coconut. I don't mind the taste, but you put that in your mouth, it's like biting into tinfoil. That is the worst thing a man can put in his mouth is a bunch of coconut. It's horrible. It's, it's just not good for me and not good for the people that I'm around because I complain about it all the time when I've eaten it. My wife is like, yeah, I know. But so those are the things that make things horrible is it's an, an assault on the senses. So I want us to pay attention here. Jesus says in verses 43, 45, and 47, he says, and he uses the word hell. Now, does that bring an image to our mind when we read that word hell? And it's probably different for each of us, but it's quite literally the word Gehenna. And I'm sure we've heard the word Gehenna at some point in our lives. And so Gehenna is often translated hell, but I think that we misunderstand what's actually being talked about because we read it and we make an assumption or we make an application that this is some purgatory type place where, we, where the wicked will go to atone for their sins. This is not a new idea. It's been around since about the 1200s is where this idea originates, is that Gehenna is this purgatory place. But Gehenna literally means the Valley of Ben-Himon. Does that sound familiar? It should, because Butch just read it to us from Jeremiah chapter 7. It literally means Valley of the Sons or Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, this is a valley. This is an actual valley that Jesus is talking about here. This isn't some mythological place that no one knows about. This is an actual valley that is south of the walls of Jerusalem. Okay? It's actually the same place where child sacrifice to Molech happened way back when. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, we read about Topheth, this place of burning. That was where they took their children to sacrifice them. Well, Josiah will become king, and it's after Josiah that this valley becomes a trash dump. Okay? It's, it's a refuse dump for garbage and dead bodies, animals, criminals, whatever. They would throw those things out into this valley. 
and they would set it on fire. And it burned constantly. And if the fire didn't get you, the worms and the maggots would. This was a place of absolute horrific smells, sights, all of it. And Jesus' point through all of this is whatever goes into the valley doesn't come out. No one is going to exterminate all of the worms, all of the maggots. No one is going to put that fire out. It burns continually. But there are just some places you just don't want to go. And Jesus' illustration here kind of plays out on that, right? That this place is so bad, it is so horrific that you would cut off a body part to keep from going there. It's just that bad. And it leads to the question, okay, what's the fastest way to get to Gehenna? What's the fastest way to get to the Valley of Ben-Himon? Or we could put it this way. What is there that we do that leads to a place of rot and fire? When I think the answer lies all the way back in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he began to question them. He said, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed which one, which, discussed with one another, excuse me, which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. This entire discussion is bookended with the phrase, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last. Look at verse 50 when he says, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. This is all framed around this discussion about who's the greatest. And he, and he teaches them about this thing. And then John says, well, master, here's the deal. We saw somebody doing this and we tried to stop him because he's not following us. And Jesus says, well, what are you doing here? What are, you, what are you trying to do? This goes back to who's the greatest, doesn't it? Who is the, let's just be upfront here, guys. Who are we more concerned about people following? Us or Jesus? Then I would submit to you that if we're concerned about people following us, then we are no different than the disciples arguing about who's the greatest here. And when we get into discussions about who's the greatest, what's the natural response to those types of debates and discussions? Animosity toward one another, isn't it? Divisiveness. All of those things that crop their ugly head in the course of those conversations. And then we will begin to look with doubt and, and suspicion on each other. We'll undervalue We'll attempt to stop any effort. And instead of rejoicing with the advancement of the kingdom, our attitude is exacerbated and it grows and it gets bigger and bigger. 
nothing will rot away your soul like the spirit of contention. Thinking that you're better than anyone out there leads us to losing our saltiness. You know, when Jesus is using this illustration of physical body part removal, the hand, the foot, the eye, it's showing the extent that we should be going to keep ourselves from stumbling. Because here's the issue. The spirit of contention has already gotten the disciples into that point. Envy, jealousy, love of preeminence is not the path that Jesus is walking, and it's the path that Jesus severely warns us against here. Because to go down that path is to go to a place where the worms are never exterminated and the fire is never extinguished. It's disgustingly graphic. But there's some lessons that we won't learn unless it is that way. And really what it comes down to is this. How concerned are we with what other people are doing? (laughs) I'm going to be upfront with you. I don't lie awake at night wondering what Bud's doing. Well, I should be. Are you saying I should be? Uh, I think that we get so concerned and wrapped up in the idea of what other people are doing that we forget about what we're supposed to be doing and who we're supposed to be. And the minute that we start acting out on those feelings and attitudes is the minute that we have stepped off the path that Jesus is leading us on and we have stepped onto the path he's warning us about here and we have lost our saltiness. That we're not good for anything at that point in, as it pertains to the kingdom and its growth and in the world that we find ourselves living in. We find ourselves opposed to it, actually. Let's be concerned with who we are and not be overly concerned about who they are and what they're doing. Because I'm convinced that if we can just focus on who Jesus is wanting us to be, who he's leading us to be, everything else will get taken care of, Okay. That'll just happen. And we won't have to worry about going into these disgusting places where God God is warning us not to be. We don't have to go there to learn the lesson. I think we're smart enough to actually see it and stay away from it. Eric's got a song that he's going to have us stand for here in about 10 seconds. Traditionally, we call this the time of invitation. And I like the idea of this tradition. I think it follows a biblical pattern. I think it identifies us as God's people. It helps us. It brings us closer together. That we trust each other enough. That if we find ourselves wandering a path that Jesus is not leading us down, that we're able to make that confession and turn back onto that path and receive the strength from our brothers and sisters. Encouragement from it. Accountability through all of it. But it's also a great time to actually get on the path to make the confession of Jesus as Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're not walking the path that Jesus is leading, I'm going to tell you right now, you're walking a path that will lead to nothing but rot and fire. 
and he can rescue you from that, save you from that, if you'll just submit. Whatever we can do for you, if it's prayers of the body, you're ready to become a Christian. We encourage you to make that known by coming forward while we stand and sing.